The states of Texas and Mississippi both rescind their mask mandates as the left in the country goes out and starts to panic over the fact that Governor Abbott's going to take your mask away. So we'll talk just a bit about that. In other news, Christopher Wray testifies in front of Congress and still has no idea what's going on. I don't think anybody has any idea of what went on during the January 6th riot, and we'll talk a bit about that. In other news, a bill goes to the House and gets voted down about federally allowing felons to vote. So we'll talk a bit about that. And Minnesota snowplows all get new names, including one that's uh, just a little bit out of the ordinary, I guess. And it's going to be all that and more. I'm Jay Edgar, and this is Contemporary. Good morning, everybody. Ladies, gentlemen, non-binaries, people who think they're men, people who think they're women, just people in general. My name is Jay Edgar. We've got a bunch of stuff to get to today, as always, here, and we'll go through all of it, including talking just a bit about the fact that Christopher Ray doesn't know what's going on, and some guy apparently dressed up as Antifa for the Capitol riot. So it's going to be all that and more, but before we get started... Pardon our dust, we're still under construction over at the Freedom Scoop Media Group, but head on over there and bookmark the page, and while you're there, get on the YouTube and go and follow my friends, The Generational Gap, The Frockles and Brit Show, The Already Conservative, The Breakdown with Birkenhoff, and The Daily Ignoramus. Go and check them all out and bookmark our page. So once we're back up and running, you can pick up some of our swag and help us support great creators. All right, looking in at the Dow Jones to start off with today. Uh, flat day. Went up, it went down, and closed on the downside here, closing at 31,391.52. Previous close at 31,535.51, so we lost a little bit over 100 points there. So we'll see what happened with that, and I'm sure that IBD and CNBC will give us a good inkling of what that meant. Looking at the Bitcoin, I don't know who bought the dip, but we're back up to the 52,000 mark. And as I said, I think we're going to hold pretty steady for now until people realize what's going to happen with inflation. I don't think it's going to hit 100000 this year. It looks like it's pretty well settled off into its point of between 48000 and 52000 I said 50000 yesterday, but it's, it's pretty well settled into that kind of sweet spot there. So we'll see what happens. People are going to buy the dip and make a little bit of money. People are going to sell the top and make a little bit of money back. So... We'll see where it goes, and really, honestly, the best thing you can do right now is stay in it, I think. But I am not a financial advisor, so please check with your financial advisor before you make any decisions on cryptocurrency or other investing. All right, looking in at IBD for the morning. Give that a second to think. Dow Jones futures signal stock market rally. Rebound, vaccine plays, soars. From Ed Carson, Dow Jones futures rose Wednesday morning along with S&P 500 futures and NASDAQ futures, but with gains fading somewhat. The stock market rally retreated Tuesday, hitting resistance at a natural area after Monday's big bounce, but the major indices also found support at natural levels. Viva Systems, Fubo TV, Maravai Life Sciences headline notable earnings reports. Growth stocks did not have a good day. Zoom Video and Target suffered nasty reversals following earnings. Tesla, Rivals, Neo, Xpeng, and Li Auto sold off on news as EV stocks and uh, struggle rather while traditional auto giants, GM and Ford, make bullish moves. 
Meanwhile, Rocket Companies lived up to its name. Rocket stock shot up 71% to 41.60, hitting a record high, as the heavily shorted mortgage lender became the latest social media-driven squeeze play. Yep, that's probably why we saw everything uh, drop down again. Rocket stock jumped uh, 10% on Friday following strong earnings, then 11% on Monday. Before the open, Rocket stock fell solidly. Maravai earnings beat news as the company makes a compound for the Pfizer and BioNTech coronavirus vaccine. Maravai sees 2021 revenue more than doubling. MRVI stock skyrocketed 20% in the pre-market, signaling a new high after shares fell 3.9% on Tuesday. Viva earnings and revenue topped estimates while the company gave bullish guidance. Viva stock rose modestly in pre-market trade. Shares fell 2.2% on Tuesday around the 50-day line after a late February breakout failed. Fubo TV reported a wider-than-expected loss but beat on revenue and subscriber growth. Fubo stock fell in overnight trade. Shares rose 8% on Tuesday, retaking the 50-day line and breaking a downtrend in a very deep handle in a very deep consolidation. The sports-focused st uh, streaming operator is moving to get into the online sports betting game. So they're going to be a draft uh, king's competitor and the person, or I'm sorry, the network rather, that transmits the news. So, I'm sorry, not the news, the sports. Why the hell is my mind this morning? <clears throat> Tesla stock is on the IBD leaderboard and IBD 50. Viva is on IBD long-term leaders on the futures. The Dow Jones futures were a half a percent above fair value. S&P 500 futures rose 0.4%. NASDAQ 100 futures climbed 0.45%. Futures were off morning highs. The Bitcoin price continued its rebound. Bitcoin soared above 52,000 Wednesday morning. And remember, overnight action in Dow futures and elsewhere doesn't necessarily translate into actual trading in the next regular stock, uh, stock market session. So, that's what we have to see with that. Let's see what CNBC has to say. From CNBC, stocks pull back after big rally, Dow closes more than 100 points lower. From Yoon Lee and Thomas Frank. U.S. stocks fell on Tuesday, led by technology names, as the market gave back some of its strong gains from the previous session. The S&P 500 slid 0.8% to 3870.29 after the broad equity benchmark rallied more than 2% Monday for its best day since June. The Dow Jones Industrial Average fell 143.99 points, or 0.5%, to 31.391.52. The tech-heavy Nasdaq Composite lost 1.7% to 13.358.79, as Apple and Facebook fell about more than 2% each. Amazon and Microsoft both slipped 1%, while Tesla dropped 4.5%. Tech and consumer discretionary were two of the worst-performing sectors, Falling more than 1% each, the slight gains in materials provided the broader market with some cushion. Markets may be trapped in a tug-of-war between what they expect to happen and pandemic-fueled insecurities, which are compounded by other harder-to-quantify market impulse. Chris Hussey, Managing Director at Goldman Sachs, sent a note. On days like today, with no news and little macro to help investors keep the faith, we see what-ifs emerge sideways trading across all sectors coupled by a pullback in rates. The 10-year Treasury yield, a point of focus lately for equity investors, dipped below 1.41%. The benchmark rate appeared to be stabilizing this week after surging to a high of 1.6% last week, which eased some of the fears about higher borrowing costs and inflation. So they're going to keep trying to feed you the fact that they're not going to inflate the currency, and I mean if they continue to debate over whether or not they're actually going to pass the 
budget, that actually, well, no, it's still going to be a concern, but it might not be as big of a concern as we thought it was initially. As long as that bill just stays stuck in Congress, which it seems like it's going to do for a while. I mean, this was supposed to be resolved on January 21st. But this is just going to stay bouncing back and forth in Congress until they figure out what they're going to do with a poison bill, $15 an hour minimum wage. And we're going to sit there with that. All right. So that's what we're seeing off the markets today. Let's start with the top news of the day. As you may have guessed by the title, the first thing we're going to talk about is that Texas and Mississippi to lift mask mandates and roll back COVID restrictions. Governor Greg Abbott said Texas would be back open 100% by March 10th, and Mississippi Governor Tate Reeves said his state's mask mandate would end on Wednesday. From Tim Fitzsimmons. The governors of Texas and Mississippi both announced on Tuesday that they would be lifting their state's mask mandates and rolling back many of their COVID-19 health mandates, just one day after the CDC warned against complacency in the face of emerging coronavirus variants. It is now time to open Texas 100%, Texas Governor Greg Abbott said Tuesday afternoon at Montalongo's Mexican restaurant in Lubbock. COVID has not suddenly disappeared, he said, but state mask mandates are no longer needed. Shortly after Abbott's announcement, Governor Tate Reeves announced that he would end Mississippi's statewide mask mandate effective Wednesday of this week. Our hospitalizations and case numbers have plummeted, and the vaccine is being rapidly distributed, Reeves tweeted. It is time. It is time. On Monday, CDC Director Rochelle Walensky strongly cautioned against the very rollbacks that Abbott and Reeves were about to implement. Well, of course she is, because she's going to be the new Fauci, and you're wrong if you want to go and be free. The nationwide game of Simon Says isn't over yet. We need triple mat. We need five masks. I need masks over my eyes. I'm really worried about reports that more states are rolling back the exact public health measures we have recommended to protect people from COVID-19, Walensky said, at the daily White House COVID-19 briefing. Please hear me clearly, Walensky said. At this level of cases with variants spreading, we stand to completely lose the hard-earned ground we've gained. President Joe Biden echoed these concerns on Tuesday, even as he announced the U.S. will have enough COVID-19 vaccine doses for every adult by the end of May. The, the fight is far from over, Biden said. Though we, we celebrate the news, I, I, I urge all Americans, please... Please wash your hairy legs and, and your roaches and kids sitting up on my lap and corn pop and... Thank you for your statement, President Biden. Abbott said that his new executive order would rescind most of its prior COVID-19 executive orders and that all businesses would be allowed to open 100% effective March 10th. And I like the way that this is worded here. All businesses... There's, that's where I want to start with, will be allowed to open 100%. He's not saying that they will all be open 100% immediately at this point. It, he says they're going to be allowed to open 100%. Which is a distinction without, well, with a very, very major difference going along with it. So we'll talk about that in just a second here. But before we get into that, I want to add what my friend Britt from the Freckles and Britt show added to this. Derek Ensign tweets out, on this hashtag Texas Independence Day, we tell, at Governor Abbott, come and take it. 
with the picture of the mask, for those of you listening back on the audio platform. To which Britt retweeted, tweeted back out and said, that's not how this works. And our friend Jessica Green, who is not on the Freedom Scoop Network, but is a very, very close friend of the network, says, you can still wear a mask. Does this person think that someone is coming to take his mask away from him? And that's the point of this. Now, Governor Abbott has made a repeal of the mask mandate, which means that there's nobody out there who's going to come out and tell you that you must wear the mask. The mask police aren't going to come and take your children away for not wearing a mask. They're not going to come back and they're not going to pull you out of your home and throw you on the ground and put you in a prison cell with a bunch of other non-maskers who are all probably not wearing masks while you're in the prison cell. They're not going to shut down your business anymore for this. Instead, you have the free, and you have the freedom and the choice to do so. Before Wisconsin had a mask mandate, people were starting to mask up. I called them idiots. But I said that they were free to do so. If that's what they felt they needed to do to keep themselves safe or keep the community safe as such it was, I'm never going to stop somebody from wearing a particular piece of cloth, clothing, or otherwise. I mean, hell, with the argument that I got in over on Twitter yesterday, I'm not going to stop a guy who wants to wear an armband with the friendship windmill on it over there. For that matter. If that's what he wants to do, I'll sit back and argue with him and tell him why his ideas are stupid, but I'm not going to stop him from wearing it. <clears throat> and it's the same thing with the businesses. And just like I said in the NBC article, Abbott says that the businesses will be allowed to open up 100%. Will they open up 100%? Well, that's going to be on the municipality and the individual business. If they want to stay 50 feet apart with each other and tape off every nine tables and then leave the 10th one open, that's what they're going to do. And that's what that's, they have the right to do that. That's their private property. They can set up their private property for however they want to and operate in whichever way they want to. And I'm sure customers are going to do the same thing. They're going to come in and they're going to say, hey, you know what, can I, do you, do you have a table that's not sitting right next to another table? I guarantee you they're going to do that. So you have all kinds of freedom to still do this. It's just the government's not telling you what to do anymore. <clears throat> so, and no, Abbott's not going to come and take your mask away. If you guys want to wear 25 fucking masks on your face to go and spite Abbott, have at it. That's your right as an American citizen. It is your right to be as stupid as you want to be. Yes, you have to face the consequences of it, but it is your right to do whatever. To, and, you know, you've got the hashtag vote him out. And I know that's going with uh, Abbott because I looked at that yesterday. Because they're pissed at the fact that he did this. People are pissed that the fear isn't working anymore. I remember how outraged somebody got when I would, I was way back at the beginning of the commie coup. And somebody said, well, I hope you get COVID. And I said, well, I hope I do too. Because then I can get the immunity to it and not have to worry about it again. And the woman went the fuck off on me. Just fucking screeched. And it was the same thing with, I'm going to go back to the argument that Jessica and I got in yesterday with the uh, couple communists out there, one of which blocked me and the other one didn't. Where we're going back and he said, well, you look like somebody that wants to platform Nazis. I'm like, well, I do. I can refute them with good ideas. You want the government to do it for you because you can't refute them 
I can. <clears throat> so, yes, you have the freedom to do so. Abbott's not taking your mask. If you still want to wear the mask, wear the mask. Some people might ridicule you, but you still have the freedom to do so. All right. And going right along with that, um, from Blaze Media, this is not from Texas, but it's another mask thing, so let's talk about this for a second. 13-year-old stabbed a store clerk after being told to wear a mask, police say. From Carlos Garcia. Police say a 13-year-old boy stabbed a convenience store clerk on Friday after being told to wear a mask in Canada. The unsettling incident unfolded in Winnipeg, Manitoba, when a maskless boy entered the store in Isabel Street, according to a Facebook post from the Winnipeg Police Service. Police say the boy became angry when the clerk told him to wear a mask. He allegedly stabbed the clerk after buying several items. Well, I guess at least he bought the items. Wow. The 41-year-old clerk was taken to the hospital in serious condition, but later improved to stable condition. Police say the incident was unprovoked. Well, kind of was. And this is the same thing that I have to say about this. Now, I mentioned private business before. Winnipeg, of course, is going to have its own mask mandate. I believe Manitoba, I'm sure Canada has got just a mask over the entire country of Canada at this point. <clears throat> and then everyone has to wear their individual mask, too, on top of that. But with that and what you're seeing with this, still, when I go to the local Woodman's, there's a gigantic yellow sign out front that says, Wear a mask while indoors. Mask required uh, while in this store. And it's a big-ass sign, so they take that sp uh, shit pretty seriously. Businesses are still going to be able to mandate mask wearing because that is private property for them. And if you want to do business with that business, you should abide by their rules indoors or choose not to associate with that business. I actively seek out places that don't enforce the Wisconsin state mask mandate. Now, of course, the state mandate is up there and the government's telling us what to do, but I know businesses, and I'm not going to name names, but I know businesses right here in the community that don't give a flying fuck. And I, I frequent those businesses as much as I can. As much as I can. So, this kid, he should have worn the mask. He really should have. Because he was going in and doing business with a company that required it. Not because Winnipeg told him to do so, but because the company told him to do so. And that's what I have to say to that. All right, let's keep going. Let's talk about Chris Ray. God, what an idiot. FBI Director Chris Ray says capital attack was domestic terrorism from Grace Seegers and Melissa Quinn. FBI Director Chris Ray told lawmakers on Tuesday what lawmakers wanted to hear. End of article. I'm sorry, there's actually more to this, but that's pretty much what this boils down to. Chris Ray told the Democrat lawmakers what they wanted to hear. And now they can go back and push through their domestic terrorism bill. Patriot Act 2.0, here we fucking come. 
FBI Director Chris Wray told lawmakers on Tuesday that the attack on the Capitol on January 6th was domestic terrorism, while defending its handling of an intelligence report one day before the assault. Ray appeared before the Senate Judiciary Committee as lawmakers continued to examine the intelligence failures in the run-up to the attack. It marked his first appearance before the panel since the riots, which left five dead, including a U.S. Capitol Police officer. More than 300 people from at least 40 states have been charged by federal prosecutors in connection with the attack, during which hordes of rioters attempted to jump in and take selfies and expected something else to happen and probably didn't. The attack, that siege, was criminal behavior, plain and simple. Well, yeah, it was trespass. Throw them a fine and get them the fuck out of the system. And it was behavior that we, the FBI, view as domestic terrorism, Ray said in his opening statement. He added that the FBI was working day and night across the country to track down those responsible for the assault, including the journalists that were wandering along and just trying to make a live stream. saying the FBI has identified hundreds of suspects and opened hundreds of investigations and arrested over 270 individuals to date. January 6th was not an isolated event. In fact, we saw cities burning down across the country. Oh wait, that's the wrong narrative. Ray said, adding that the threat of domestic terrorism was metastasizing across the country, including in places like Portland and Chicago and Kenosha. Oh wait, once again, wrong narrative. The FBI will not tolerate agitators and extremists who plan to commit uh, or commit violence. Ray said that threats of racially motivated violent extremism have skyrocketed in recent years. I mean, look at Portland and Minneapolis and... Oh, wait, once again, wrong narrative. Have skyrocketed in recent years and have been responsible for most lethal attacks over the past decade. Portland and Chicago and... Yeah, you know the drill. He said the Bureau is pursuing roughly 2,000 act, uh, active extremism cases and that the number of arrests of white supremacists have nearly tripled in recent years. <clears throat> white supremacist is called for anybody who voted for a Republican. He also added that the FBI has not seen evidence that left-wing extremists posing as Trump supporters or members of Antifa were involved in the January 6th attack, as some GOP lawmakers have suggested. The director faced questions from senators about the intelligence gathered by the FBI before the assault and how it was shared with U.S. Capitol Police and other law enforcement agencies. On the eve of the riots, the Bureau's field office in Norfolk, Virginia, issued a raw intelligence report warning of an anonymous social media thread threatening violence at the Capitol, but former U.S. Capitol Police Chief Sund told senators last week the report never reached the police leaders, though it was shared with his agency. Ray defended the Bureau's handlings of the intelligence report. I mean, the FBI is just partisan at this point, saying it was shared as quickly as possible with law enforcement over the email, discussed verbally at a command post, and posted to an FBI web portal. Ray said he had not personally seen the January 5th report before the attack. Security officials who oversee the security at the U.S. Capitol have blamed the intelligence community for failing to adequately warn law enforcement about the scope and severity of the threat to the Capitol on January 6th. But multiple intelligence reports warn that armed white supremacists and extremist groups White supremacists is anybody who voted the way we didn't like. 
posed a violent threat to joint, uh, the joint session of Congress as they viewed the constitutionally mandated meeting as their last chance to reverse the outcome of the election. So there you go. That's what Ray has to say about this. Uh, let's talk just a bit more about the Antifa side of that because NBC went a little bit deeper into depth with that. FBI Director Chris Ray repeatedly rebuts claims that Antifa activists attacked the Capitol. I think, and this is just from the evidence that's put before me, that the vast, vast bulk of the people who walked into the Capitol that day looked around, realized that they had no idea what the fuck they were doing, grabbed their cell phone and kneeled down next to a Capitol Police officer and... The vast majority of them were Trump supporters. Very much so. Who led them in? I don't know, but I don't... The fact that we didn't see Antifa around the Capitol area, whereas usually once the Trump supporters come into BLM Plaza, they're right there, ready to go with their Molotovs. That makes me wonder just a little bit, and once again, I I don't know if I believe this. <clears throat> but let's see what Rebecca Shabbat has to say. We have not to date seen evidence of anarchist violent extremists or people subscribing to Antifa in connection with the 6th, Ray said in a testimony to the Senate Judiciary Committee at a hearing to address the concerns about the intelligence leading up to the riot and the domestic terrorism threat more broadly. That doesn't mean we're not looking and we'll continue to look, but at the moment we have not seen that. Ray explained that those who participated in the breach of the Capitol fell into two main groups of violent extremists. Those associated with mil uh, militia groups such as Oath Keepers and those who advocate white supremacy. Boy, I'd love to see your evidence on that one. Ray's comments came after Senator Chuck Grassley of Iowa, the top Republican on the committee, spent much of his opening remarks focused not on the right-wing extremists who attacked the Capitol in January, but on left-wing extremists such as the anti-fascist or Antifa movement. Grassley referred to how left, uh, far-left protesters vandalized a federal courthouse in Portland in the summer and the state Democratic Party headquarters during President Joe Biden's inauguration. Yeah, but that doesn't fit the narrative, you see. The narrative is we have to put every person who voted for Trump into prison or a re-education camp and take all their kids away from them because they're violent, horrific extremists. We must examine the issue of domestic terrorism broadly, very broadly, to include all forms of political extremism. Domestic terrorism, wherever it falls on the political spectrum, Grassley said, no serious oversight activity and no other policy decisions can be made without doing both. Trump and many of his allies have repeatedly claimed that Antifa activists were responsible for the January 6th attacks on the Capitol. At a hearing last week, Senator Ron Johnson read from an article that falsely blamed the Capitol viol uh, violence on Antifa, fake Trump protesters and provocateurs, a recent Suffolk University USA Today poll, found that 58% of Republicans believe the Capitol riot to have been mostly Antifa-inspired attack that only involved a few Trump supporters. No, it's not what it was. If my theory is correct, it wasn't, I mean, the ratio was going to be completely different at that point. If my theory was correct, 
Now, I do have the rebuttal on my theory that Vincent James from the Red Elephants was at the front of the group. So do take that into consideration when you look at this, and that's on video. But it does look more to me like a peaceful protest that was mostly of Trump supporters, and then we saw one or two provocateurs. Now we're doing the monkey see, monkey do thing, and one of them comes up and says, Hey, let's get in the Capitol! Let's go! And the large group of people exhibiting the mental experiment that people in the large group tend to revert to the intelligence of the dumbest person in the group. Looked up and say, All right, let's go! So, that's what we have to see from that. Senator Dick Durbin, chairman of the Judiciary Committee, said in his opening statement that violence across the political spectrum, including the vandalism at the federal courthouse in Portland, shall be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. But not really. We paid for those guys to get out of jail. So, that's what, that's what the official narrative is coming out of Ray and the FBI at this point. I've got another one here that Elaine put up in the Gilded right before we went live, so I wanted to talk just a bit about this. From WYFF4 out of... Does it say? It doesn't say where it's out of. Um, 42 degrees, wherever it is, so that could actually be right around here. Except I don't recognize the call letters. But the NBC affiliate, the local one, says... Greer man charged in Capitol riots claimed to dress just like Antifa, FBI affidavit says. Well, I guess we'll figure out where Greer is and then go from there. Oh, South Carolina. There you go. A South Carolina man was arrested and is accused of attacking police during the U.S. Capitol riots, then bragging about it. William Norwood III of Greer faces several federal charges, including violent entry, theft of government property, obstruction of Congress, and disorderly conduct on Capitol grounds. An FBI affidavit states Norwood texted a family member before the riots and told them he planned to dress just like Antifa. If you're going to do stupid shit, don't leave a paper trail, you dumb fuck. Wow. Oh, goodness. The Associated Press defines Antifa as shorthand for anti-fascists, an umbrella description for the far-left-leaning militant groups that resist neo-Nazis and white supremacists at demonstrations or other events. <sighs> that poor, poor neo-Nazi that owned the car lot in Kenosha that got burned down by Antifa rioters. That poor, poor gas station where the kid went out to put out the fire and wound up having to shoot somebody for his trouble because he was about to get bashed in the head with a skateboard and shot by another guy. Oh, those poor neo-Nazi. That, that poor Armenian in, uh, immigrant neo-Nazi. The affidavit includes several screenshots of the text as well as photos of Norwood at the Capitol that day, according to the FBI agent. After the riot, Norwood texted a family member and admitted to assaulting four officers. According to the affidavit, he also claimed he stole their police gear. 
Wow. But when asked by investigators, Norwood denied everything. There you go. You left receipts. Wow, this is, this is just this. Looks like I might not be on DLive here. Let's go double check that and see. Just a second. Hmm. So according to chat, I'm not showing up on DLive, but uh, it looks like I am showing up as far as the uh, monitors go. So I don't, I'm not sure. But it looks like there are two people watching over there. Thank you, guys. One of them is not me, because all I have is YouTube and Trovo up. All right, got to keep going, though. So, this tweet came to us from Marjorie Taylor Greene. Bipartisan defeat of Cori Bush's violent convicted criminals can vote amendment on the House floor. I call for a roll call vote because on this one so Dems couldn't ram it through via voice vote. And the Democrats are 97 yay, 112 nay. Republicans are 198 nay. Lost by 310 to 97. Not even on partisan lines. Nobody wanted this one here. So, all right. Let's see here. Reading from Fox News. Squad amendment to restore voting rights to felons incarcerated individuals fails in the House, from Marissa Schultz. The House on Tuesday rejected an amendment authored by the Progressive Squad to restore voting rights not only to felons but to individuals who are currently incarcerated. Get out the vote, I guess. The measure went down in bipartisan defeat with just 97 Democrats voting in favor of the amendment compared with 328 members who voted against, 119 Democrats and 209 Republicans. Freshman Representative Cory Bush authored the amendment with support from fellow progressive reps Mondaire Jones, Jamal Bowman, Ilhan Omar, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, D. Twitch, Ayanna Presley, and New Jersey's Bonnie Watson-Coleman. After the vote failed, Bush tweeted, for the first time ever, the House took a vote on whether or not to end the cruelty of denying incarcerated people their right to vote. It's a privilege. Our amendment didn't pass, but 97 Democrats voted with us. We will not stop fighting until we dismantle white supremacy in all of its forms. So much to unpack here. And of course, all that they see is race, because that's what it is. They think that having uh, voting rights taken away from people in prison is all on a racial bias. First and foremost, um, I would I would navigate Cory Bush to go over and look at the Freedom Scoop Media Group Network, in spite of the fact that we're under construction right now. But I, I want to see if White actually still has the article that he wrote, because we're under construction and it's not showing up on the website right now. But uh, White did a very, very good introspective on voting rights for felons. Uh, back when he did a written article for freedomscoop.com, which I very much enjoyed, and he broke it down. Because it is it is a state-by-state -state thing. It's not a federal thing, the voting rights, because the federal government doesn't do anything with voting rights. That's Article 2, Section 1. Not for the presidency, not for state reps, not for anything else. That's all on your state. 
So, Ms. Bush, if you have a problem with Missouri's laws, then I suggest that you talk to the governor of Missouri and your local lawmakers to uh, talk about what it is that you need to do about this, because that's, that's not your jurisdiction to do. But furthermore, there are states, I believe Florida is one of them, where I think Florida, you can vote from prison. I'm, I Don't quote me on that. That may not be true. But I know that uh, the Parkland kid voted from his holding cell. So, yeah, this is, I mean, it's great that it fell through and just kind of fell to the wayside off of this. Even with the voice vote that Marjorie Taylor Greene bragged about the fact that she wasn't going to uh, allow to happen, I don't think this would have passed because, A, number one, first and foremost, this doesn't go past the Senate. Not on a 50-50 split. And, like I said, Article 2, Section 1, I don't think that passes the Constitution. I don't think it passes the Supreme Court, either. If you want to see your voting rights for your local incarcerated felons and felons out on parole, refer to your local representatives. That is a state law. All right. So that happened there. Let's look at the Associated Press. Going on once again with the drama of the Biden cabinet. Budget nominee Tanded withdraws nomination amid opposition from Alexandra Jaff. And now I do have to wonder where it is that they're going to put her because, of course, we read the article last week that if she fails at her Senate confirmation, then they're just going to put her somewhere that doesn't require Senate confirmation. <clears throat> President Joe Biden's pick to head the Office of Management and Budget, Neera Tanden, has withdrawn her nomination after she faced opposition from key Democratic and Republican senators for her controversial tweets. Her withdrawal marks the first high-profile defeat of one of Biden's nominees. 13 of the 23 cabinet uh, nominees requiring Senate approval have been confirmed, most with strong bipartisan support, because they're all in the swamp together. Unfortunately, it now seems that there is no path forward to gain confirmation, and I do not want continued conversation or consideration rather of my nomination to be a distraction from your other priorities, Tandon wrote in a letter to Biden. The president, in a statement, said she has the utmost respect for her record of accomplishment, her experience, and her counsel, and pledged to find her another role in his administration. We, we can't get her through the Senate, so we're just going to put her somewhere that doesn't require the Senate, okay? And if we if we can't do that, then we're going to take a straight razor. I'll have Corn Pop take a straight razor over to the Senate. All right. <clears throat> Tandon's viability was in doubt after Democrat, uh, Democratic rather West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin and a moderate a number of moderate Republicans came out against her last month, all citing her tweets attacking members of both parties prior to her nomination. Manchin, a key moderate swing vote in the Senate has said last month in a statement announcing his opposition that her overly partisan statements will have a toxic and detrimental impact on the important working relationship between members of the Congress and the next director of the Office of Management and Budget. Maine Republican Senator Susan Collins meanwhile cited Biden's own standard of conduct in opposing Tandon, declaring in a statement that her past actions have demonstrated exactly the kind of animosity that President Biden has pledged to transcend. Coming with the receipts. In a rare win for Susan Collins. So, she gone. Let's read from the Hill. 
Commissioners tasked with scrubbing Confederate base names sworn in at first meeting from Rebecca Keel. So we're going to go over the Confederate monuments thing once again. Members of a congressionally mandated commission tasked with planning how to rename Confederate-named military bases were sworn in Tuesday at the group's first meeting, the Army said. The first meeting, which was held virtually, included discussion about the commission's organization and important duties, Army spokesman Cynthia Smith said in a statement. The Army has been designated by the Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin to be the Pentagon's liaison to the uh, commission, rather, according to the statement. The panel officially called the commission on the naming of items in the Department of Defense that commemorate the Confederate States of America or any person who served voluntarily with the Confederate States of America, that's a mouthful of a name, was created by last year's defense policy bill. That is the C-N-I-D-D-C-C-S-A-A-P-W-S-V. C-S-A, that's not a good acronym. That's a long acronym. Former President Trump vetoed the bill in part over the commission, but the Congress overrode the veto for the only time during his presidency. The commission is tasked with planning on how to rename or remove names, symbols, displays, monuments, or paraphernalia on Defense Department property that honor the Confederacy, thus erasing that part of history and allowing Democrats to forget the fact that they were the party of slavery and secession. The Pentagon is required to carry out the commission's plan in three years. So, you're going to be seeing new base names like Fort Bragg. That one's going away. There you go. From WSAV, out of Savannah, Georgia, Trump endorses South Carolina's Tim Scott in 2022 Senate re-election bid. And the king-making begins. Tim Scott's a good dude, though. I'll give him that. From Meg Kinnard. Former President Trump has endorsed U.S. Senator Tim Scott's 2022 re-election bid. What a racist, I swear. He only likes white people. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. The statement Tuesday continued to make clear Trump's intention to remain a dominant force in Republican Party politics. Trump issued a statement through his Save America PAC, saying Scott had his complete and total endorsement and complimenting Scott's work on behalf of the military, law enforcement, and veterans. The only black Republican in the Senate and one of its three black members, Scott previously served, one term in the U.S. House has been in the Senate since 2012. Hold on, I'm mathing. So he was in the Senate in 12, and he's, uh, he must have been a special appointee at some point then, because... 2022 would only be 10 years, and they serve six-year terms. So yeah, he must have come in as an appointee, not a uh, not an elected official, but he's going in for a re-election. I'm guessing with this, and I don't know the history behind Tim Scott, he was probably appointed by South Carolina to fill a vacancy. And then he got elected in 2016, it would be. He got re-elected. So this will be his first official re-election. The appointment not counting. So, okay, I can get behind that. 
I know Ron Johnson over here in Wisconsin has talked about the fact that he's not going to seek a third term because of term limits. I don't know if that's going to actually be true or not because he seems to be liking the news coverage at this point. He likes being able to go on the Vicki McKenna show and stuff like that. So he might go for a third term. But yeah, Scott, this will be his second official full term. And I can dig it. I can get behind that. All right. From Insider. Archived, of course, because Adblocker. Representative Adam Kinzinger tore into Senator Josh Hawley for his smug CPAC speech, saying five people died because of what you did. From Sonam Sheth. Republican Representative Adam Kinzinger of Illinois tore into his Senate colleague, Josh Hawley, over the latter's speech at the Conservative Political Action Conference on Friday. All you had to do was see Josh Hawley's smug face at CPAC as he stood in front, you know, getting this adulation from the crowd about how he, you know, you might have seen I rejected the Kinzinger said on CNN's New Day as he recounted the Missouri Republicans' remarks. He went on to say that the insurrection has made it difficult for me to talk to other countries about how to do democracy in the wake of that, and Kinzinger tacked on sarcastically, but as long as you're the most important thing and you can run for president, that's great. I don't care. Kinzinger is an asshole. Let's keep going from Vox News. Yeah, you remember uh, the old press secretary? The one who came with the binder and facts? She's back. From Fox News, former White House press secretary Kaylee McKenney joins the Fox News family because you knew it was going to happen. You know what I want to see them do with her? I don't want to see her be an anchor, in spite of the fact that I'm sure that Rupert Murdoch is going to make her an anchor and put her in a dress and say, Cam, 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 show the legs, show the legs. I would love to see them send her to the press box so she can give it back to Jen Psaki. That's what I want to see. That's the way I want to see that happen right then and there because she knows the rules, she knows what goes on with that, then she would be a thorn in Psaki's side. Oh, I want to see that. I don't think that's what's going to happen, but... That's what I want to see. This is from Brian Flood. Former White House Press Secretary Kayla McEnany has joined Fox News' family. Harris Faulkner informed viewers on Tuesday during an exclusive interview with McEnany on the Faulkner Focus. It is my distinct pleasure today to welcome Kayla McEnany to the Fox family. We will be seeing much more of her in the future, Faulkner said. In her first interview since leaving the White House, McKennany also discussed her emotions during the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. She told Faulkner that she expected a peaceful protest to take place as Congress met in a joint session to tally the Electoral College votes. However, she watched in shock as attendees stormed the Capitol building in search of lawmakers. I think at the beginning of the day, before everyone went to the rally, everyone was expecting peace, McKennany recalled. We have uh, been to hundreds of rallies. I've probably seen hundreds at this point, certainly many dozens. And there were nothing but peaceful events, and we expect that to be the same. She continued, and then as those events transpired, it was disbelief, shock, somber, sad, horrified by the violence. And it was very hard, difficult day at the White House. There is no doubt. McKennany added that her feelings were shared by many other White House staffers. It was a, I should say, widespread feeling, synonymous feeling completely, she said, a feeling that everyone felt the just completely condemning the actions of that day, horrified and very somber. McKennany also discussed her relationship with President Biden's press secretary, Jen Psaki. 
I wish her all the best. I left her a note saying that much. We met previously one time. She was very kind, McKennedy said. So were some of her colleagues in the press shop, and I left her a note. I wish her the best. McKennedy explained the difference in the way the mainstream media treats Saki compared to its handling of the Trump administration. I'll never forget watching one of those early press briefings where she was asked about the Antifa riots, and I believe she said she hadn't spoken to the president about that. They let her move on, whereas if I would have been asked about the violence on the other side of the aisle, that wouldn't have been an answer that flew, nor should it have, McKennedy said, adding some reporters in the briefing room acted like political operatives. They were. So, McKennedy on Fox News. There you go. All right, from the Hill, I got just a few more here, then we'll do something I'm thankful for and head out of here for the day. As per usual, I don't have something I'm thankful for prepped, but I'll figure it out on the fly. Why not? Uh, this is an opinion piece, so this does not have gold, or sorry, uh, green check verified gold check. Green check verification. So take this as you would. House Democrats want to silence opposing views. Not fake news from Bernard Goldberg, opinion contributor. A House subcommittee held a hearing last week on disinformation and extremism in the media. Since nobody's for disinformation and extremism in the media, what could be wrong with such a congressional hearing? For one thing, despite its noble-sounding title, the hearing is just the latest item on the progressive agenda, an agenda to stifle or flat-out shut down conservative voices in America. Why, for example, would Democrats hold a congressional hearing on the subject when Congress can't pass laws to curtail disinformation or so-called extremism in the media? There's that pesky Constitution and its First Amendment that would get in the way of such attempts to stifle, uh, stifle speech. Even progressives know that. But what if the government, in this case Democrats, who, to put it bluntly, don't like conservative news organizations, could get private industry to do its dirty work? What if, hypothetically, of course, Democrats could get big tech to shut down conservative voices they don't like, and then say, our hands are clean, we didn't abridge anybody's First Amendment rights? I want to point out at this point that it's very important to go and follow this channel over on the Freedom Scoop Media Group. Even though we're under construction, please bookmark that page. And also, if you're on YouTube or Twitch, one of the two big tech sites, look in the description below, find the Discord, where you can come back and find updates to all of our stuff over on this show and the Red Net Show. And also, join the Gilded if you're over on the YouTube, because that is in the description. And join up with any of the other pages there because we don't know how long the YouTube and the Twitch are going to last. But DLive and Trovo appear to be stable. Um, DLive demonetized me, but they do appear to be stable either way. So join me on any one of those so you never miss a second of the coverage. Well, it's not so hypothetical. What led to the hearing was a letter from two California Democrats, Representatives Anna Eshoo and Jerry McNerney, their letter was sent to the CEOs of 12 cable and satellite providers, the tech companies that carry all sorts of cable TV news, everything from the Food Network and the Golf Channel to Fox News. Let's just say it wasn't the food or golf that Democrats had in mind when they wrote their letter that led to the hearing. Rather, they were concerned about what they called the right-wing media ecosystem, which supposedly was spreading lies and disinformation that led to insurrection. And... I mean, going on with that, and that, I mean, that was a shameless plug that I put in the middle of this article, but it does stand to be said because the big techs are going to shut us down at some point. All of us over on Freedom Scoop, and only a couple of us are not on our second channel. 
Actually, I think the ratio is a little bit off on that because I think most of us are still on our first channel, but I do have a second channel. It's private. Everything on there is privatized. It's what I use to test the clips for uh, the Red Net Show. It's got two strikes on it right now. No subscribers and two strikes. How this uh, channel continues to go, I have no idea. Elaine has been kicked off of uh, streaming from Facebook, from her Facebook page. Steven's been kicked off of, I think he's on his third YouTube channel. RRC is on his fourth. So they are coming for us. Um, Twitch has kicked, uh, I think Twitch kicked Steven off at some point too. So he's on his second Twitch. I'm still on my first channel for both, which I can't believe. Especially given what happened on Saturday, which I had to private my call-in show video. And some of the stuff that you guys are saying, which don't ever stop. Do not ever stop. We will cross that bridge. If you guys get me kicked off YouTube, all I'll do is go back and open up my backup channel and make another backup channel, and we'll go to there. So never, ever, ever stop being edgy in the comments. Ever. Always do that. And yes, they're coming for anybody who is. And I'm not even right-wing. Hell, I'm a federalist. I think the right-wing is fucking dumb. But I don't tow the progressive line of, give me more authority, give me more Gibbs, and take all my stuff. So I am a dangerous right-wing extremist to them as well. So, definitely something to watch for. And once again, if you were not, if you were just following me on one channel, follow me on the rest. Just in case something should happen. Alright, from CBS2, out of Chicago... This was interesting. I saw this uh, right before we went up. James Massey charged with inciting rioting, accused of encouraging downtown looting in social media posts in August. From CBS2 Chicago staff. A Chicago man was charged uh, federally with inciting rioting Tuesday on accusations that he posted multiple messages and videos on Facebook urging people to come downtown and loot this past August. James Massey was charged in a criminal complaint in U.S. District Court with using a facility of interstate commerce to incite a riot. Prosecutors said on Sunday, August 9, 2020, Massey posed Facebook messages and videos calling for people to travel downtown to loot and commit property damage. Throughout the early morning hours on Monday, August 10th, numerous people did loot retail stores in the Loop, the South Loop, the Magnificent Mile, River North, Streeterville, the Gold Coast, the Clybourne Corridor, and Lincoln Park. Six of which I've been to, by the way, among other areas. Prosecutors said Massey directed people to meet at a certain location and travel downtown together. Several people responded to the messages throughout the night to plan, among other things, where they would loot. Prosecutors said in one message, a Facebook user allegedly said others in the group that they were like 13 cars deep, prosecutors said. One specific location discussed in the Facebook messages was a marijuana dispensary in the 900 block of West Weed Street. Boy, that's ironic. In the Clybourne Corridor area, around 1 a.m., August 10th, several people broke into the dispensary by smashing windows using tools that had been in Massey's car, which was parked in the dispensary parking lot, prosecutors said. And what gets me the most about this what really just boils my blood about this one, the fact that we're talking about this, is the fact that this was the exact thing they shut Parler down over. This guy's actually being charged in the U.S. federal court for using Facebook to organize rioting in the streets. 
And that's what they shut Parler down over. Now, once again, I think Parler's... Let me try to round that very carefully. Because I think Parler has the right idea. Parler needs a lot of work and a lot of polish. They need a lot of web development. They need a lot of work. Because they're buggy as shit. They're cluttered. They're disorganized. But they have the right idea. But once again, this is what AWS shut Parler down over. And here we have it happening right on Facebook. All right, so that's what we see for that. I've got one from Complex. Source I don't always use, but uh, definitely interesting one to see. Elon Musk says he wants to create a city in Texas called Starbase. I think that has way too many English letters for Elon Musk's liking. I think he needs a bunch of stupid symbols and numbers and stuff. From Joshua Espinosa. <clears throat> Elon Musk is looking to expand his presence in the Lone Star State. The business magnate shared the news via Twitter on Tuesday, revealing his plans to create his own Texas city called... Complex says Space Base, but uh, Elon Musk tweets out Starbase. Starbase. Sign up for Complex notifications of breaking news and stories. No! From thence to Mars, and hence the stars. Though Musk has kept details to a minimum, the Cameron County judge, Eddie Trevino, confirmed he was aware of the SpaceX CEO's desire to incorporate Boca Chica Village, the small Texas town where SpaceX is building its deep space rocket. Trevino suggested county commissioners are open to the idea, but said Musk and his aerospace company must go through the formal process that may include petitions. Yeah, that's pretty much the same as every other state. I should look at it because there are a couple unincorporated towns that I grew up around up in the northern part of the state, and I just I was curious as to how a town incorporates in Wisconsin, and it's actually a pretty interesting uh, way to do it. It's an interesting uh, process that goes along in my state, and I'm sure that Texas has something similar going along. You can't just pop up a post office and say, hey, we're a star base now, but we'll see what happens off of this, and you know, maybe he'll build something huge. Maybe people will be coming far and wide to come and live in Starbase and vote blue and turn Texas blue or whatever the fuck else they're going to do. All right, from the hill. Microsoft says Chinese hacking group targeting security flaws and business email app from Tal Axelrod. Microsoft warned Tuesday that a hacking group supported by the Chinese government is exploiting security flaws in an email program popular among American businesses. <clears throat> the company said in a blog post that the group named Hafnium is trying to take advantage of previously unknown security weaknesses in the email application Exchange Server. Microsoft called on customers to update Exchange Server to fix four susceptibilities in the program. Microsoft said it determined Hafnium was behind the hack based on observed victimology, tactics, and procedures. Even though we've worked quickly to deploy an update for Hafnium exploits, we know that many nation-state actors and criminal groups will move quickly to take advantage of any unpatched items, Tom Burt, Microsoft's corporate vice president of customer trust and security, wrote in a blog post. 
Microsoft said Hapnium waged limited and targeted attacks by working through leased virtual private servers the software was accessed through stolen passwords or other vulnerabilities and malware was installed in an attempt to gain data. So, they're in your email. I don't know what Microsoft plans to do about it, but Bill Gates is going to keep trying to get that jab in your arm. Let's see what Reuters has to say. <clears throat> Chinese court backs publishers of textbooks calling homosexuality psychological disorder. From Reuters staff, uh, this came to me by a tweet in the Discord from Seawall728, so thank you for that. Uh, this is a few days old, but, you know, given the fact that Beijing Biden is in China's pocket and everybody seems to love Beijing Biden, I'd like you to see what China actually wants to do. A court in China's eastern Jiangsu province recently ruled in favor of a publisher that described homosexuality as a psychological disorder in university textbooks. According to a copy of the February 9th appeal ruling seen by Reuters, a Suyu District Intermediate Court in the city of Suquan said the description resulted from perceptual differences and was not a factual error, upholding a judgment made in September last year. I feel at a loss because they didn't even have a trial. They just handed down the judgment, uh, said the plaintiff, who uses the pseudonym Shishi. You're in a communist dictatorship country. What did you think was going to happen? In 2017, Shishi had sued Jinan University Press, a company owned by retailer JD.com, for publishing and distributing factually incorrect content in the 2013 book on mental health education for university students. The teaching material classifies homosexuality as a psychological disorder, which it isn't, the 24-year-old NGO worker said, adding that she only found out about the ruling on her appeal through her lawyer on February 22nd. Well, you're probably lucky that you got a lawyer and you might be going and hanging out with the weakers for a little while. I am really disappointed because we're seeing comments that are supporting this judgment. Homosexuality was decategorized as a mental disorder by the Chinese Psychiatric Association in 2001. It is quite damaging to the whole LGBT community. So we are sorely disappointed, said Pen Yangzi, the director of LGBT Rights Advocacy China. So, it's an interesting way to see this here, and... I mean, the entirety of China actually doesn't consider um, homosexuality to be a mental disorder. It's just this one court is saying that the book can allow uh, continue to publish. But even still, that's um, for someone like that, that's a pretty heavy blow. I don't really care who you fuck. I'm, it's no big deal to me. But you know, it's not like the entirety of China is coming down for this. So this is probably going to go nowhere, and I'm still. Very, very much in disbelief that Shishi was surprised that this just got handed down in a ruling in a communist dictatorship country. You have no rights there. You have none. You have a government that pats you on the head and says, okay, go to work here. Go, go. Go to work. Come back. Get your meager paycheck and maybe we might have you, let you have a little bit of freedom because of it. As long as you provide for the state. All right, I have got one here from the Twin Cities Pioneer Press, a publication 
that used to come to my door when I was in middle and high school. Plowy McPlowface plows through competition to win snowplow naming contest. From Mary Devine. After all the votes were tallied, it wasn't even close. Plowy McPlowface won the Minnesota Department of Transportation's inaugural Name a Snowplow contest with 65,292 votes. The next closest vote getter was Ope, just going to plow right past you there, which garnered 29,457 votes. More than 122,000 votes were cast in all. Plowy McPlowface will soon be plowing streets in the metro district, uh, district rather, Oh, just going to plow right past you there. We'll make its home in District 4 in West Central Minnesota. The other winning names in order of vote totals and their future homes are Duck Duck Orange Truck in District 1, Northeastern Minnesota, Plow Bunyan in District 2, Northwestern Minnesota, Snowby Juan Kenobi in District 6, Southeastern Minnesota, which is where I was born, F. Salt Fitzgerald in District 7, South Central Minnesota, Darth Blader in District 3, Central Minnesota, and the truck formerly known as Plow, a nod to Minnesota Native Prince, by the way, in District 8, Southwestern Minnesota. MN.Officials officials invited people in mid-December to submit possible names for snow plows. Among the submissions were a number of Minnesota-themed names, including Joe Plower, Justin Moore Snow, Kent Burbeck, Raspberry Barrette, and Snow, uh, Purple Snow. One of the most popular suggestions was the phrase, Abolish Ice, because of course it was. According to an analysis by the Minnesota Reformer, an independent news website, which obtained almost 23,000 entries in a public records request, the name, a play on the rallying cry of critics of the Federal Immigration and Customs Enforcement Agency, ranked number two among the entries the Reformer determined. So, that's what they're doing in the Twin Cities right now, in spite of the fact that they have razor wire and fencing around their uh, courthouse, but, you know, you got to have the lighthearted one every once in a while. Okay, actually, I've got to look into this here, because... Uh, see, well, apparently got a message deleted um, as far as what happens in my chat. Usually Restream will let it up there, and all that I see from Seawall here is the half-track message that it usually comes into, and nothing else. I wonder if you know who did nothing wrong, was submitted and rejected. I don't know. Um, Seawall, do you have the DLive? Put that on the DLive once and just see if it pops up, because it'll still pop up, and I actually can't believe it didn't pop up. Well, yeah, I can believe it didn't pop up on my chat. Because I'm not sure who you're talking about. Oh, I know who you're talking about. Never mind. We'll still put it up there so everyone else can see it. But, uh, yeah, I know who you're talking about. All right. So, and with that, we've got one more here. And then we will do something that I'm thankful for. And I will make some breakfast and head to work, and you guys will go along with your Wednesday. From the New York Post. Amazon tweaks app icon after comparisons made to Hitler. There it is. 
For those of you who are listening back on the audio platform, you are missing out. That's the old. That's the new. I hope that you would enjoy that. Amazon has changed its new smartphone app logo after critics said the earlier incarnation was a dead ringer for Adolf Hitler. The e-commerce giant introduced the new icon in January to replace the symbol of a shopping cart with one featuring a brown box with a jagged piece of blue tape above the company's iconic smile-shaped arrow. But sharp-eyed users noticed the tape disturbingly recalled the Fuhrer's toothbrush mustache. It's not just a ripped scotch tape, it's a uh, ripped scotch tape that has a similar shape and is right on the top of a smiling mouth. Looks like a happy little cardboard Adolf to me, one person said on Twitter. Amazon's new app logo uh, be looking like they're the third most downloaded in the Reich section, another said, referring to the Nazi regime. Users also took note of Amazon's tweak, in which the blue tape was made to look folded over. LMAO, I completely missed that Amazon quietly tweaked its new icon to make it look less like Hitler, one wrote. Unsurprisingly, they did not send out a press release to announce the second redesign. And there it is, once again, just so you guys can enjoy that one more time. I have an update. It's still the shopping cart for me. So I'm going to completely... If I had caught this, and this had happened before I'd caught this, and I'd updated the Amazon app before that... I would never update the Amazon app again just so I could say that I still had the Hitler stash on there, but that is hilarious, and that goes right back to the friendship windmill that we talked about at the top of the show that entertained our friend Quest Fanning so much. All right, and with that, that's going to be the end of the news today, and today we will end on something that I'm thankful for, which I'm completely unprepared for at this point, but I mean, it is getting warmer. Things are getting better. Um, the mask mandates are coming away. That's something you got to be thankful for because it is going to start putting pressure on other local economies. And where I say with that, I'm not going to say that opening up the mask uh, mandate and opening up the state is going to immediately kick back Texas' economy. But there's enough evidence out there to say that it will. So in doing so, Texas is going to start opening up and people are going to start flocking there for tourism, especially. That's going to be the big one. People are going to start heading there for tourism. People are going to start heading to South Dakota for tourism and Mississippi for tourism. And when's the last time you said somebody's going on vacation? Said, <coughs> oh, excuse me. I'm going to bright, sunny Biloxi. Maybe they do. I don't know. But up around here, we don't say that much. But the more states come out and do this, the more people... I don't think people are going to jump up and start moving yet, but they're definitely going to want to start going and spending the tourism dollars there rather than coming to, like, Wisconsin Dells where they've got to be masked up with five masks and temperature checked as soon as they go into the water park and all that kind of fun shit. I don't even know if water parks opened last year in Wisconsin. I have no idea because I didn't go to any water parks last year. But... With this starting, with this starting to happen here, it will start to put pressure on other places around the country once they start seeing those, especially, like I said, the tourism dollars start migrating away from these big progressive states. They're going to come back and say, oh, hey, what the fuck are we doing wrong here? 
we got to do something. We got to do something now. And that's, I mean, the people want to be free at this point. You know, we've seen the various different ways for gun legislation to go away. Indiana going, doing away with their licenses. Missouri going as far as, as say we're going to arrest the feds that come in. This country is thriving for freedom, in spite of the fact that they elected two authoritarians for the executive branch. They are thriving for freedom right now, and they're doing everything that they can. And if the pattern goes in the way that we're going with this, then I see us, I don't see Kamala and Joe making it past their first term. I don't see them getting reelected. Because they are authoritarian, they want to crack down. I mean, the 1994 crime bill. Freedom is popular again in America, and I'm glad to see it. I'm thankful for that. Thank you to Texas, thank you to Mississippi, and thank you to South Dakota for staying open the whole time. And that's going to be it for the day. So we're going to head on out of here for the day. Let's get the scene changed up here, get some outro music going, because I'm going to remember to do outro music here for the rest. I'm going to try and keep doing this for... Uh, the rest of this but uh let's get this up done kick that in get this started and get ready to head on out of here so we will be back here tomorrow for more contemporary and more news and more of the fun stuff that's going along with this i'm sure that with the ray thing coming out and everything that came along with that we'll have plenty more to talk about with that and everything else that the government plans to do throughout the day here looking forward to talking about that with you guys tomorrow remember tell a friend and tell 10 friends and we'll see if we can get more people up here and i noticed in the chat earlier today that mad cow mark said let's see if we can get the likes up to four in youtube and that is awesome thank you very very much for that tell your friends get them in here we'll chat with them tomorrow and make sure you get those last message minute messages in so i can thank you guys properly on friday knowing who was here and who chatted so we'll see you tomorrow until then i'm jay edgar and this is contemporary <laughs>